Today's reading is from Micah 5, 2 through 5. As for you, Bethlehem of Ephrathah, though you are the least significant of Judah's forces, one who is to be a ruler in Israel on my behalf will come out of you. His origin is from the remote times, from ancient days. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor gives birth. The rest of his kin will return to the people of Israel. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty in the name of the Lord his God. They will dwell secure, because he will surely become great throughout the earth. He will become one of peace. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I got the microphone. Good morning. In 1938, a man named Nicholas Winton began what would become the most important work of his life. Winton at the time lived in London, and by day he was a stockbroker. He was 29 years old, and he was convinced by his friend to give up his annual ski trip with all of his friends to go instead to Czechoslovakia. Because in Czechoslovakia, a number of refugees had begun to gather as they fled from Germany and other places where the Nazis were beginning to make their presence felt. Winton went to Czechoslovakia and was stunned by what he saw, the hundreds and the thousands of people who were gathered, and certain that the violence that he had seen at one point in Munich was bound to spread. Winton immediately sprung into action. He began to work to try to save children from the coming violence, and to find them foster families in Britain to keep them outside of German control and safe. With no authority, he began to work on nights and weekends collecting money and finding foster families. He went back to Prague and set up an office where thousands of parents stood in line, hoping that he could help get their children to safety. Winton successfully saved 669 children from certain death, facing a ticking clock until the borders were shut by the occupying Nazis. And this incredible story was almost never known and never told because Winton rarely ever spoke of it throughout his life. It wasn't until 1988 when Winton's wife was cleaning out their attic, that she found an old photo album. (coughs) Inside the photo album were pictures of every child that he had saved, their name and their age, and the address of the foster family that he had found from them. It was after this that he finally began to speak more broadly about his work, and the wider world took notice. When the prophet Micah was walking the lands of Israel, another war was brewing, one that would have deadly consequences as well. Because the people of Israel and Judah had turned away from God. Each of them was doing what they wanted to get ahead. They were exploiting their neighbors instead of 
caring for them. Worse than that, the political and religious leaders of the day were abusing and taking advantage of the common and vulnerable people. They were taking the word of God and manipulating it for their own gain. They were using it for their own political expedience. They were taking God's word and using it to bless those who would give them money, who would give them food, who would give them things, and using it to curse those who would not or could not. They were using God's good news for their own profit. And because of this, God had delivered a message to Micah. In the first four chapters of the book of Micah, we hear of the coming destruction of Israel and Judah. In the form of their neighbor Babylon, their children will be taken from their homes, their cities will be raised, they will be forced off their land to become like the dust of the wind. But in the midst of this message of heart-rending news in the midst of this terrible prophecy, God delivers another message. As unexpected as a 30-year-old stockbroker in London rescuing Czechoslovakian children, the children of God, too, have a rescuer coming. And this one is also coming from a place that no one would expect to look, that no one would ever think of from a tiny, overlooked, forgotten village called Bethlehem. Undervalued and forgotten, Bethlehem was not where you look for a Savior. Not only was a Savior coming from this unexpected place, but he would be nothing like what they were looking for. He'd be nothing like the heroes and the rulers of their day, because unlike the worldly powers, This Savior was not coming to establish his kingdom with violence and with death, but instead he was coming to feed the hungry, to protect the vulnerable as a shepherd protects his sheep. Instead of war and destruction, he's going to be bringing peace to the world. The kingdom of God is funny like that, where the world venerates the strong and the powerful and the rich, God instead chooses the weak and the broken and the overlooked. In other words, God seems to love the underdog. And when God chooses to make statements in the world, he doesn't use the political rulers or the business tycoons or even the religious powers. In Scripture, we see that God uses peasants and farmers the homeless and children, these are the people who make up the great voices of God. One of my favorite authors ever is Tolkien. Between his Lord of the Rings series and his Hobbit, his stories are gospel stories. They are stories that are full of self-sacrifice and unconditional love, of courage and compassion. They're tales where good faces evil, Tales in which good wins, but there is always a great cost. They are stories where power and peace come up and confront one another, and only one can win. In The Lord of the Rings, as most of you, I'm guessing, know if you've seen the movie or read the book, evil has once again come upon the world. An evil that has the potential to destroy everything. 
and elves and dwarves, magicians and men, all of the best and the brightest have gathered together to find a way to defeat this coming evil. And while all the great men and the great women try to decide who could possibly be strong enough, brave enough, good enough to carry the weight of the ring, Gandalf brings forward a tiny little hobbit named Frodo. A small hobbit from a far-off shire, too small to be worth anything. The thought is preposterous. All it will bring is folly and despair, all of the great people say. How could anyone so weak possibly carry so heavy a burden? How could he be of any help? They looked at Frodo and dismissed him, not big enough, not strong enough, not smart enough or quick enough. <coughs> but then Elrond breaks in and he says, at least for a while, the road must be trod, but it will be very hard. Neither strength nor wisdom can carry us very far upon it. This quest may be attempted by the weak with as much hope as the strong. Such is often the course of deeds that move the wheels of this world. Small hands do them because they must, while the eyes of the great are all elsewhere. And perhaps you hear a ring of Paul's voice. Perhaps you remember in 1 Corinthians when Paul tells us, look at your situation when you were called, brothers and sisters. By ordinary human standards, not many of you were wise, not many of you were powerful, not many of you were upper class. But God chooses what the world considers foolish to shame the wise, and God chooses what the world considers weak to shame the strong. This is the message that God speaks through Micah, that there is none too weak or too small to be of use to God. Many of us have a hard time believing this. We look at ourselves and we don't know how God could possibly ever use us. We are too old. We are too young. We are too sinful. We are too broken. We are too slow. We are too dumb. We look in the mirror and what we see is not enough. Not enough to be of use to the kingdom of God. And this happens because we have let the world define us. We have let the world tell us our worth and worthiness to God. And so we think we don't qualify to make a difference, to change the world in which we live. We think perhaps maybe even that God has forgotten us in our smallness. But we forget that God does not judge the worthiness of his people the way the world does. God doesn't give a fig about the money that you make. He's not impressed with your job title, your vacations, your friends, or your connection. God doesn't care what car you drive or what clothes you wear. He doesn't care if you're a celebrity or a politician, an athlete, or a superstar. None of those are how God judges the worthiness of people. Years and years after his work in Prague, Nicholas Winton was invited to return by the president. 
he was asked to give a speech, and at the end of his speech, he said, one can only hope somehow or another that goodness, kindness, truth, and honor will prevail, and that people will realize that it's not good enough to say, today I have done no harm, I've been a good person, but that they should have been able to say, I was given the opportunity today, and I did some good. God can and does use each of us. Every day we are given the opportunity to participate in God's kingdom and God's redeeming work. We're given the opportunity to do good. As Winton says, it's not enough to just not do harm. Each of us is able to be used by God. None of us is too small or too awkward or too broken to be of use to the kingdom. If this was the end of the message of Micah, though, if this is as much as he had to say, it would not be enough. Because we know that no matter how hard you and I work, it's never enough. For all of the good that Winton did, the Nazis still killed between 1.5 and 2 million children. The promise of Micah that is above and beyond all is that there is one who's coming who is strong enough, who can wipe away all the darkness and all the evil, one who is going to bring peace to this world that is everlasting. There is one coming who in his weakness and humbleness is finally strong enough to heal the brokenness in the world. And the peace that he's bringing is more than just an end to warfare and bloodshed. He brings with him the true peace of God. It is the peace that quiets hearts and minds and surpasses all understanding. It is the peace that will heal the fractures in our hearts and souls that make us hate God, that make us hate other people, and that make us hate ourselves. It is not coming as fast as we like, though. This coming peace, this coming ruler. We're warned that it's going to take some time. And sometimes we find ourselves looking around and we wonder how long can we bear to keep waiting? How long can we stay in this place of uncertainty? Toward the end of their journey to Mordor, these two small overlooked hobbits, Sam and Frodo, are at the end of their rope. Frodo has been exhausted by the weight of the burden that he carries, the responsibility that sits on his shoulder, and he is on the very edge of defeat. His friend Sam, knowing that he is about ready to give in, turns and looks and says, I know. I know it's all wrong. By rights, we shouldn't even be here, but we are. It's like all the great stories, the ones that really 
mattered, full of darkness and danger they are. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was after so much bad has happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come, and when the sun shines, it will shine out all the clearer. Those are the stories that stay with you, that mean something, even if you're too small to understand why. But I think I understand. I know now folks in those stories had a lot of chances to turn back, only they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something. During the season of Advent, we acknowledge that we are still in the middle of the dark and the dangerous part of the story. And sometimes we don't want to know the end because how could the end ever be happy when so much bad has happened? How can the world ever go back to how it was? But Advent also promises us that the sun is coming. It gives us the hope to hold on to that keeps us walking step by step. A baby that will be born soon. It is a time of celebration of the birth of one who is overlooked. A baby that will immediately become a refugee fleeing for his young life. It's a time when we recognize that there's a baby who will grow into a man who will be also overlooked until he isn't. Until for just a moment the darkness seems to overtake the light. And yet the light has shone in the darkness and the darkness cannot defeat it. And just like the people of Micah, we too have a desperate need to hear the promise of the good news of the coming peace. We too long to hear the words that were spoken by the angels, peace on earth and goodwill to men. In 1868, an Episcopal priest by the name of Phillips Brooks penned a new carol. He titled it, O Little Town of Bethlehem. The first verse that he wrote says, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in the dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. For hundreds of years, the promise that was spoken lay dormant until people forgot to look. They forgot to remember until people forgot that God chooses not the high but the lowly and not the strong but the weak. And while all the eyes of the great and powerful in the world were trained on Jerusalem and on Rome, a tiny, helpless baby was being born in a barn in Bethlehem. 
This is the promise, the message of hope that Micah brings, a reminder that God has not forgotten us, that God can and does use each and every one of us to bring about the goodness of his kingdom and the fulfillment of his promises, but most importantly, that the Savior of the world is coming, and he is bringing with him peace and joy beyond measure. And we are reminded, like the ancient Israelites were reminded, to not give up, to not give in to despair. Because hope is just around the corner. We just have to remember where to look for it. Amen.